0: Galatians chapter 6. Now I'm going to read all of from the lectionary book about, but I think it's important for you to hear um, the whole text. I'm not going to talk about everything today. Um, so this is what God's word comes to us from Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if a person is overtaken by any trespass, you are spiritual, should restore him or her in the spirit of gentleness. Look to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own word, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. For each person will have to bear their own word. Let the person who teaches the word share all good things with those who teach. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, they will reap. For if one is in, in flesh, then flesh will reap corruption. But he who sows in spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing well. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those of the household of faith. See what large letters I am bringing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing the flesh that will compel you to be circumcised, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who have received circumcision do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Peace and mercy be upon all who walk by this rule upon the Israel of God. And God bless the hearing and reading the Holy Word. Let's pray. Lord, open up our hearts and our eyes, and our mind that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you the Living Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's kind of a list of the Boer men movies. Okay? you know the, My four sons had this list of their favorite movies. And there's kind of a theme, if you stop and think of it, okay? if you hear the list. The Last of the Mohicans. Okay. I, I had a friend who used to call my family the last of the Mohicans. All right. All right. Uh, um, Tombstone, Gladiator, Backdraft. There's a lot of testosterone, in part, right, it's a very, you <laughs> wouldn't be surprised, but one of the things is uh, we're really interested, understandably, about what it means to be a family, what it means to be brothers, okay, whether the brother is a physical, biological one, or whether it is a brotherhood, whether it be a tribe, a band of brothers, whatever. Um, even their Godfather 1 and 2 is, is about family, okay? Maybe the dark side of what a family can be, but it's about family as well. Uh, one of their favorite movies, matter of fact, my one son reminded me of this recently, is Backdraft, okay? Now, I think, I'm not gonna spoil it, uh, if I spoil it for you, the movie came out in 1991, right? so I think the Statue of limitations is over. on spoiling that, okay? But it's, it's about uh, a, there's an arson in the city, but it's really about two brothers, an older brother and younger brother kind of reconciling and working out their differences. The younger brother comes and becomes a fireman. Their father had died uh, fighting fires. And at the end, it's discovered that one of their closest friends, a fellow fireman, is the one who's the arsonist, which actually often is the case, right? Many many arsonists turn out to be people who fight fires. Anyway. Uh, but there's this confrontation. Uh, the Kirk Douglas character, or Kirk Douglas, uh, Kurt Russell, the older brother, confronts Scott Glenn. who's the arsonist. And the reason he started the fires is, is kind of a complicated political reason. He didn't want to hurt anybody, but a got it out of control. And there's a scene where something comes down and busts the ramp they're on. And Scott Glenn is hanging on just by Kurt Russell. And they're in a terrible situation. And Scott Glenn says, let me go, save yourself. But Kurt Russell, the famous line, says, you go, we go. This idea that the brotherhood, the commitment to each other, the sense of their family is more important than their own safety. Now, it's a romantic story. It's tragic, right? Okay, It's about bravery. It's about the love people can have for each other and sacrifice for each other. There's an old song from the 60s, I the Hollies did it, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, right? Remember that song? It's the idea that, uh, you know, but I'm strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. Well, the, the reality of it is that regardless of uh, whether the person's a brother or not, sometimes carrying each other's burden is heavy, right? <laughs> Right? potentially hazardous to one's soul, or equally hazardous to one you're helping, right? I mean, the backdrop story, to save to, to save his friend or to try to stay with his friend cost Kurt Russell his life as well. And sometimes we're well-intentioned, right, when we try to help each other, and sometimes we either literally or figuratively drop somebody when we're trying to care. And, In today's passage, I think Paul does this really wonderful, insightful approach to what it means to bear one another's burdens. And I think you have to begin with a very clear notion that's in Paul, and actually I think it's a variation of the last commandment that Jesus gives us. Remember the great commandment we celebrated on Monday, Thursday? Love each other as I have loved you. This is the the only commandment he gives us. Now, you could argue that doing all the other commandments are easier than this one, right? To love as Jesus loved is a remarkable challenge. But there's this whole new notion that the law of Christ is a summary of the best of what the old covenant offered. And at the heart, we're to love God and to love each other. And so the law of Christ is to love each other. And so for Paul, one of the chief applications of that is we are to bear one another's burdens. It's a, it's a direct counterstatement to Cain. I mean, in many ways, the rest of the Bible is a working out of what goes wrong in the first 11 chapters. Remember, after Cain had killed Abel, God asked, where is your brother? And he says, the question that echoes throughout history, am I my brother's keeper? And frankly, the majority of people, both historically and even today, for the vast majority of people and societies, and sometimes even religion, if you ask the question "Am my brother's keeper, in reality they say no. But the Jesus and Paul say no, as Christians we're to bear each other's burdens. Now, one of the things that's really important is the needs of the world are kind of overwhelming, right? You stop and think, sometimes <laughs> I remember uh, we used to take turns praying around, around the dinner table. And my youngest, maybe he was four, and it was his turn to pray and, um, for, for dinner. And we tend to do short dinner prayers, okay? And Peter got to Peter, he goes, Dear Lord, I want to pray for the entire world. And then he started naming everybody he knew. And they started naming all the countries. And then finally, one of the brothers goes, amen, let's eat. If you stop and think about all the needs in the world, it's pretty overwhelming, right? Um, Also, how many times have we been well-intentioned in trying to help and we end up actually hurting? I mean, I've been involved with a lot of situations in my ministry, and sometimes we've actually helped people out the church. Uh, People come to need, and it becomes complicated, and our intent was to help, but we can end up hurting, or they can end up hurting us. There was really a lovely novel that came out last year called The Winter Soldier, and it's about the Eastern Front during World War I. And there's a young Austrian uh, aristocrat who's taken out of medical school his second year, he's only his second year medical school, and put in a field hospital. So you can just imagine what happens to that. And there's this nun who actually has learned medicine on her own and is helping them. It's a horrific situation. And he is dealing with what eventually becomes known as shell shock, which we now know as post-traumatic stress. But what the army wanted to do, the, the Austrian-Hungarian uh, Empire army, they wanted to patch him up and put him back on, on the front. They were even sending people with one arms back to the front in the last days of World War I. And so he tries to protect this artist who is shell-shocked. But in protecting him, he ends up creating greater problems. And the man suffers greatly uh, in what is known as a field punishment. All right, I won't go into the details. But his intent was to try to help him. But in reality, he put the man's life in greater harm. So. In this complicated world we live in, where people's problems are complicated, how are we supposed to bear each other's burdens? Well, Paul gives us the parameters here, and I think this shows both great spiritual and great psychological insight as well. First, he says, bear one another's burdens may mean confronting them about destructive or bad behavior. He starts out, before he even says bearing each other's burdens, he says that we are to confront, you know, if a person's caught in sin, or some sort of wrongdoing, that we are supposed to restore them with gentleness. Now, this is something that the church doesn't do much anymore for lots of reasons, right? There's a lot of reasons because if you confront somebody, well, they can just go somewhere else, right? Or a lot of it is, well, who am I to judge? Okay, which is a good question. I mean, who are we to judge? But again, if you really care about somebody and you see that they're in distress, you say something. We try to help, um, and again, often no good deed goes unpunished. Right? If any of you've ever tried to help people, okay, it doesn't always work out nicely. But love, love requires it. Um, and so Paul says that you know you do it gently, lest you're tempted. In other words, if you're bearing someone's burden who's in trouble, and that trouble, I say that trouble is of their own making. When you confront them, you do it gently. Because it's very important that in your helping someone who's created a mess for themselves, it's not your job to be the judge. It's your job to speak the truth in love. Now they may turn it down. Okay? They may turn it down. But it's not our job, job to be the judge. And that's the first way to bear each other's burdens is to realize some things belong to God. Some things belong to the person you're trying to help, and some things belong to you. And keeping those things in order, (laughs) you can't make someone change. You can't make someone be well who doesn't want to be well. Also, it's not your job to judge. When you confront somebody who's in trouble or hurting themselves, it's because you love them and love the people they are hurting. But it's not your job to stand in judgment. St. Augustine one time, in a sermon on the Good Samaritan, all right, he said, well, who's our neighbor? Right? Jesus says our neighbor is you know, basically the punchline of the Good Samaritan. If you come across a need, that person is your, your neighbor. And Augustine says, we can't possibly meet all the needs of the world, each of us individually. But your neighbor is a person who has a need that you can do something about. Now, that, doing something about it can be a lot of different things. Okay, it can be praying. It can be giving them a ride to where they need to go. Okay, It can be telling them they need to be in rehab. Okay. It can be driving them to rehab. It can be driving them back to rehab after they fall out of rehab, right? <laughs> Those kind of things. All right. Sometimes it can be given as a church coming together and helping people. So, in other words, we should care about all the hurt in the world, and we should pray for them. But the burden we're to bear is the one that's near us, the one that we can do something about. And so it kind of gives you some parameters on that. Secondly, I I think this is really brilliant. In other words, it's important in bearing each other's burdens that, first of all, that each person realizes, hey, if you do what you're supposed to do, if everyone (laughs) does what you're supposed to do, there are less burdens to bear. So it kind of reminds them, just because we're to bear each other's burdens, doesn't mean you're not supposed to do your share. And then I think what's even more, a really powerful idea is he says you're to only judge yourself based on yourself. One of the funny, I I went to Princeton Seminary and um, it was always, it was really interesting after the first wave of raids we got because most of us were used to doing really well, okay, wherever we were. Okay. And they purposely designed those interim classes. It's kind of like uh, organic chemistry, uh, constitutional law, uh, various different, every discipline has a period where they try to break you. And it was really interesting when everybody got those first grades back. I can still remember the paper I got back uh, from, from the best, maybe the smartest guy there. And first paper I read from I had a C plus on it. Okay, I, didn't not, I didn't get very many C pluses in my, in my academic career after, after high school, because I started caring after high school, okay? Uh, but the person beside me, you know, this is graduate school. The person beside me looked over and saw my C plus. He goes, oh, I'm bro, Well, he got a D. <laughs> and I looked over, I said, my C plus looks pretty good now, doesn't it? <laughs> Kidding. But you know what, well, we do that. We do that with career, we do it with family, you know, I should be here in my life, right? Okay, um, and it happens in so many different ways where we end up comparing ourselves to other people. Our whole economy, really, is based on you looking around, and saying, "Hey, I don't have that stuff." Okay. You know, for instance, any of you—I don't know how many of you are Apple people. Okay, I, I'm a late Apple. I have an Apple. I, I didn't have an Apple computer for years, but studies show that almost everyone who buys Apple keeps the box. But why? Because they bought it because it was Apple. Keeping the box means that you were as attracted to the idea of the brand as you were the computer inside it, or the iPhone. So our whole culture is really based on trying to push us to you know, constantly be carrying ourselves. Right, how do I look? Uh-oh. You know, I'm starting to look my age. When did that become wrong? Right, when did that become wrong? Okay, I mean, you know, I don't recognize the guy in the mirror some days. I don't know who that person comes in there and puts that picture of some older guy on my mirror, but it's who I am, right? Okay. What about your kids? Okay. You know, I I would love to have a bumper sticker that was made saying, instead of my kid's an honor student or my kid made the premier team, I'd like to have a bumper sticker that says, my kid barely passes, but I love him anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, because there's a sense where we're constantly grading each other. Right? And Paul says, look to yourself. Okay. God, whatever gift God has given you, that's good enough. Right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. That's someone else's story. Now, I want to jump down because... This idea of success is being yourself. Right? That's think really it. what is success in life from the Christian perspective. Success in the Christian life is first of all being yourself in Christ and caring for the ones that belong to Christ around you. Right? Being yourself in Christ, saying, Yes, Christ, you are enough. Thank you. And I'm fearfully wonderfully made. And then looking around you and realize that the people around you are fearfully and wonderfully made as well in embracing them in the name of Christ. And I think the basis of all this is found in, in, in two really powerful verses at the end of our text. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything the new creation. In Christ, we are a new creation. Remember I said the New Testament is really about undoing everything that goes wrong in the first 11 chapters of Genesis? You know, we cannot escape the ongoing way sin and death continue to have its way in the world. And and we can't pretend that the effects of sin and death happen to our own bodies, right? But we, according to Christ, are to see ourselves and others and live in the reality of the new creation. Even though we still are subject to the effects of the old creation, being baptized into Christ means we are actually part of the new creation. So other people may judge you, but God doesn't. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Right? Okay. Right. I'll take that one vote anyway. Right? And so, part of the theme that's been in Galatians, we haven't read, we haven't preached through the whole book, but this idea that where the new creation is concerned, it affects the way we live with each other. So, in terms of how I view my brother and sister, you know, Christ has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility um, between the peoples. There's no more male or female, no Jew or Gentile, white, black, or brown, no slave or free, no rich or poor power of sin has been defeated, power of the world has been defeated, and we are to live in that new way, and to look at each other through those two lives. There's a country song by Tim McGraw, and um, I don't really liked it, but it kept coming to mind while I was thinking about the sermon, and it's about a guy who gets a bad report from the, from the doctor. Okay, and the, and the chorus goes like this. So when he asked what he did, the chorus goes, I went skydiving, I went rocky mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, and I looked deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness, I'd been denied. It. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying.' Well, as Christians, to be in Christ means we are to live like you are rising, not like you are dying, but like you are already risen with Christ. The resurrection is our reality. So we can live this life with the freedom of knowing, I'm free to love, I'm free to live, not like I'm dying, like I am rising with Christ. What does it mean to boast in Christ? I mean, I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It means to have the freedom to care and to live this life to the fullest. Because this is only the beginning. It is confidence in the work of Christ alone. In Christ alone we stand. But that's everything. Okay, we're going to celebrate the sacrament, and it's been called the medicine of the soul. Why can we carry the burdens of others? Why can we be content with what God has given us? Because Christ carries our burdens. Because in Christ, we have been given all that is in God. Again, I I say this frequently, but it's words that ring in my head. An ancient spiritual director once told me, what can satisfy a person If God is not enough. But if God is enough, or even if we begin to live in that a little bit, then we have the freedom and we have the overflow to love and bear each other's burdens. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to. Stand and say with me the nice and clean was we to We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, and according to the scriptures, he ascended to heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And we'll have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge our baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. I would like you to continue your worship and give God your gifts, your tithes, and your